Now am I on? Okay. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. Um, well, I'm here today because I've been blessed beyond imagination. For most of my life, I never would have thought of the church as home. Not a few years ago even. But now it is. It's safety, stability, truth, love. It is home. I remember when I was a little girl at my church back home, I would gaze up at the ceiling in my church because there's a, a blue sky painted um, with clouds up there. And I remember really believing that God was up there, like right there. And with as much, you know, as much as I could muster, as my attention span could muster, I would make myself really still and holy and prayerful in his presence. I have no idea how or why, but I had this very deep sense of the Father, a sense of being seen and known when I was under that sky, a sense of his closeness and of his mystery. Does this sound okay? Down a little bit? Is that? How's that? I can tell you today that I'm certain that the Lord placed that sense in my heart all that time ago and that he did it knowingly and lovingly because he knew the path that I had ahead and he had plans for me. He led me here to this very moment. And what I've learned is that God plays the long game. He plays for keeps. So I'm here to share my story out of obedience and thanksgiving, and I share it to memorialize and give dignity to all the children, including two of my own, who lost their lives on this earth to abortion. So I was born to a single mother, and I never knew my biological father. So my story began with a lot of confusion about my identity um, and distorted ideas about family and marriage and love and God. And these gaps became perfect entry points for shame to burrow itself into me. I really felt like there was something wrong with me, but I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what my purpose was. And really early on, I started believing the lie that my life didn't matter. From my loneliness, I started to tell lies to cover up my shame and just to see if I could get the attention and the love that I craved. And it worked. So I went on believing that if I could make myself interesting enough and if I could be pretty enough and come across smart enough, then I could be loved. The lies really blurred my reality, and I lived in a fantasy world. Memories from my childhood are very few and far between, just a series, really, of jumping from one lie to the next, riding that high of momentary um, attention, and then plummeting back into darkness. 
much of this longing um, was for a father, which led to unhealthy relations with men from very early on. When I was in daycare, I fell absolutely hopelessly in love with one of the male workers there. And when it was time for kindergarten and we graduated from daycare, I was devastated. And I remember crying so dramatically in his arms and really living in this fantasy that we could be together. This pattern of falling in love and obsessing over male attention would continue and permeate my life. And my life was a performance. No one called me out on it. So I really thought I was getting away with it. I didn't experience discipline or having to take responsibility for my actions. And at 12 years old, I made a vow. I made a deal with the devil to never tell the truth to take all of my secrets and lies to the grave. And the next 20 years of my life would unfold rooted in that decision. By high school, getting attention and affection was all that mattered to me. My only concerns were looking good, dating older guys. I didn't know I was searching for a father's love, the father's love, and in my ignorance, my desire turned to lust. I wanted the attention of a doting father, but I didn't know what that felt like, so I chased after guys. I became sexually active at just 15 years old, believing that I could hold a guy's attention with sex. I was promiscuous and reckless with my body. I viewed people in the world as actors in my play. I didn't respect or honor the lives of others or my own, and so began a pattern of using people for my own gratification and having no regard for how I was hurting them or myself. This is who I was when I met Andrew, who is now my husband, in my first year of high school. Andrew and I quickly started having sex, and I had no regard for his body or my own, I just thought, this is what you do. This is what love is. This feels good, I guess. And this bonded us together in ways we could not have understood at the time. Our parents, sex ed classes, even the church, in my experience, did not prepare our hearts for what sex would do to us psychologically, emotionally, and physically. We had been dating for about three years when I found out I was pregnant. I was 17, Andrew was 21. In an instant, my youth was gone. I would now be a mother. And I remember very passively accepting that. And in a very childlike way, I was excited about my baby. And I remember I would hold my belly and I would dream about the little child within me. My mom was distraught when I told her. My stepdad and Andrew's parents minimized the situation and tried to put a positive spin on it. But it was a really empty positivity and it felt as though all hope was suddenly lost for me already at 17. 
I felt like a complete disappointment. From that point, I was allowed to drop out of school. I was allowed to sleep at Andrew's house every night. College or university was off the radar. So at the precise moment, I was about to bring new life into the world. The messaging around me was that my life was over. And it was at this time that my mom, in her brokenness, quietly suggested abortion to me. I was very naive, and I had no idea that abortion was really a thing women did. I thought it was almost a myth or happened extremely rarely. I didn't know it was just available if you wanted it. Now at this time, thank God, I had already decided in my heart to have my child. He's not back there anymore, but our beautiful son Landon was born just after I turned 18, and he's almost 17 now. Landon is a gift, unrepeatable, unique. There really is no one like him. And we're so happy he's with us. It pains me to tell you that our story gets darker from here and that Landon was present for most of it. But my mom had planted a seed in my heart about abortion and life at this crucial time. And that, along with the trauma of teenage pregnancy, swallowed me up. And the next 14 years of my life were a blur of running from my pain, more lies, cheating on Andrew, and spiraling deeper into meaninglessness. Andrew and I were directionless and clueless as we tried to navigate living together and raising a child. We needed guidance and support, but we didn't have it. So in our cluelessness, we made the decision to move pretty much as far away as we possibly could from friends and family to Vancouver. While living there, I started having an affair with a guy I worked with. He wasn't the first. There was no rhyme or reason, really, for who I did this with. He gave me attention. That's all I needed. And it was during this affair that I found out I was pregnant. I didn't know who the father was. And my first response was, I can't have this baby. The seed that had been planted in my heart during my first pregnancy had taken its roots. And this time I didn't feel connected to my womb. Abortion was the answer, and it didn't seem like a big deal. I told the other guy about the pregnancy, and he wasn't very concerned. I'm ashamed to say this, but he actually bought us a round of shots, and we drank them, shrugging off me drinking while pregnant, because I was going to abort anyway. Of course, I was playing two sides, so I also told Andrew I was pregnant, and he wasn't very concerned either. I don't know how much of a choice though, that I gave either of these men. As much as I was floating cluelessly through life, I was also very manipulative and sharp-tongued. I liked to get my way. I still struggle with that. I'm not sure how I would have received it had either of them protested my decision. 
and both surrendered their fatherhood so easily, which I believe speaks to how little value we place on men and fatherhood in the current culture. I went alone to my first abortion appointment. The exterior of that building truly concealed what was happening behind closed doors. And speaking of closed doors, you had to be captured on video to get in. Um, and you had to have an appointment. The clinic's website claims this is for two reasons. One, to keep violent anti-abortion protesters out. And two, to keep men, in other words, fathers, out of the facility if they weren't wanted there. And they actually label men who oppose their partner's abortion as abusive. I kept my head down and I went to the front desk. The office was extremely old and worn in. The website had made this place seem warm, inviting, peaceful, modern. It was really the opposite. I filled out some forms. On one it asked, why was I getting this abortion? And in the boxes below the question, one of the options read, because my spouse is not the father. I thought to myself, wow, this must mean I'm not the only person who's been in this position. I felt seen. I checked the box, no questions asked. Randomly, in this strange place, I felt open to tell the truth. The receptionist then told me I would be going to a counseling session. I had never been to therapy, so when the session began, I treated it like it was for real. I started telling this woman in scrubs all of my deepest, darkest secrets, telling her the truth of this pregnancy, who fathered the child, and why I just couldn't go through with having this baby. In my heart, I believe I was searching for someone to say, enough. This has to come to an end. But this woman would not be my savior. Instead, she told me, don't worry. Many women come to this clinic for abortions for that same reason. You're not alone. The procedure won't hurt. It won't take long. It'll take five to seven minutes. And you can take drugs if you want to. You'll be out of here and back on your feet in no time. Looking back, I can see that the only goal of that counseling session was to make sure I made it from that room to the procedure room without changing my mind. I actually feel quite foolish looking back on that, like I got tricked. Into the procedure room, the same woman in scrubs gave me a pill to place under my tongue to relieve any anxiety I may have been experiencing, that into my arm an IV to carry a light sedative I was assured that I would hardly feel a thing, perhaps just some light cramping, like when you're on your period. I was in a dream state with my fears numbed. I remember the doctor not even talking to me. The room was dark, and there was an ultrasound machine, but it was turned away from my view. And the cramping was not like period cramps. I know now that what I felt was the feeling of a child being ripped from my womb. 
It was the feeling of a life ending. And I could feel that life ending because my body was giving it life. I felt that get cut off. It was a deep ache, a deep pain. I couldn't have pointed to you where it was. I couldn't now because it's folded so deep within. It's both physical and spiritual. But I didn't know at the time that that was the pain I was experiencing. I didn't know the trauma that had just been inflicted upon me by this doctor and this woman in scrubs and with my permission. In the recovery room, I was in a fog and very disoriented from the drugs. All I can recall is the sound of soft weeping coming from the other beds and the staff's great urgency for me to leave. That clinic planted another seed in my heart that day, and I would be back. Six months later, I discovered I was pregnant again. I was still in the same affair with another man, and I didn't know who the father was, so off to the clinic I went. This time, Andrew came with me, though he was hardly included in the event. He was not valued there. He became a voiceless accomplice. I felt shameful about being back there, but I kept it to myself. And again, the forms had to be filled out. And again, the form asked for the reason I was there. And I checked the box, spouse is not the father. But this time, a new question stuck out. Have you had an abortion before? Yes. How many? One, two, three, four, five plus? Five plus. Well, I thought, I'm not bad at all. Some women have more than five. I'm only having two. I know now that those questions were crafted to make me feel that way. Again, into the counseling room, I spilled my guts. But this time, I knew the routine a little more. So I almost performed my heartbreak, just as she performed as my counselor. And I knew that she would tell me exactly what I wanted to hear. It's OK. You're not the only one. Women come back multiple times. Do you want drugs? Into the procedure room, I hardened myself. Dark, nearly empty room, cold doctor, ultrasound machine turned away, sucking, cramping, pain, done. They sent me home with a small slip of paper. Wear pads for two weeks. Some pain, discomfort, cramps are normal. Take Advil. No follow-up needed. The decision to abort my children made without guidance, without hope, without being rooted or tethered to any values or faith, my choice of death over life left my world small and dark. And for 10 years after my second abortion, I made excuses for that darkness. Denial took a stronghold over my life and somehow I had convinced myself that I was happy. I tried to move on with my life to act like a grown-up, to be successful in my career, and to be the best mom. But I wasn't getting anywhere. 
I was still a little girl searching, and I was hardened and angry. And it was during this time that Andrew and I, in our brokenness and confusion and longing for more, decided to get married. And a few years later, feeling even more longing for a happy, normal life and having a sense of the deep darkness that I was in, I felt a sudden desire for another child. I didn't understand this desire. I got pregnant shortly after. And our beautiful son, Weston, was born in 2016. And he's almost seven. Praise God. But this grasping in, at meaning and happiness by getting married and having another child really only made clear what I was trying to avoid. My life had become a nightmare. In abortion clinics, they don't tell you what's in store for you post-abortion. They diminish the trauma you will experience laying in those procedure rooms by telling you there isn't, that it isn't the end of a life, it isn't a death. So they never told me about the shame and the grief and the darkness and the depression and the thoughts of ending my own life that I would have and I did have. They didn't tell me that those feelings would come likely due to the trauma and grief of losing a child. So my body and soul had been grieving all those years since my abortions, but I didn't know. There was love and guilt coursing through me with nowhere to go because I wasn't conscious of the fact that I'd ended the lives of two of my children. And I felt like a complete loser all of the time. And it was getting harder and harder to cover up these feelings. And it was in this weakness that I began to hear the Lord calling me home. We moved back to our hometown of Fort Francis, and soon we were attending church every Sunday. And we had no idea why, and we didn't discuss it. We decided to have our sons baptized. And unexpectedly, that deal that I'd made with the devil when I was 12 lost its power over me. And I decided to tell the whole truth about myself. To my amazement, Instead of losing everyone like I thought I would and I was ready to, I gained true intimacy with others for the first time in my life. And though this was a major turning point, I was still unaware of the impact of my abortions. And I continued to struggle in many areas. I had very poor self-image. I suffered from bouts of depression, disordered eating, anger, and self-hatred until the summer of 2019 when my dear cousin shared a video with me on YouTube. It was the pro-life testimony from a woman. Her name is Patricia Sandoval. She shared the story of her life in about 60 minutes. She had three abortions. She worked for Planned Parenthood and then she spiraled into addiction and homelessness. She graphically detailed what happens behind closed doors in abortion clinics. And with each detail, my heart that seemed to have been turned to stone began to feel something again. I felt pain 
I felt loss. I felt guilt. She was describing what happened to my two children, how they had died. And I couldn't deny what I'd heard. She also shared of the Lord reaching into her life at her lowest moment and lifting her out of her darkness, saving her, forgiving her, restoring her, redeeming her. I had no idea what she was talking about. I didn't know the Lord could do that. But for some reason, I believed her. I knew she was telling the truth. At the end of her talk, she spoke about something called Rachel's Vineyard. She talked about a weekend of healing and about naming her babies there, memorializing them, giving them dignity, and honoring their lives. I wailed for almost the entire video. Exhausted after watching it, I went outside and I laid down on the ground and I looked up to the sky. And God shined down on me. It was undeniably the Lord. As I looked at the blue sky and the white clouds, memories rushed suddenly and painfully into my heart. And I remembered for the first time, the first time in 10 years, the pain and horrors of my abortion experience. Looking at the sky, I recalled laying in the procedure room at the abortion clinic. And on the ceiling in that procedure room, there was a blue sky painted. And I remember that when I had looked at it, I felt momentarily comforted and as though I wasn't alone. Only God could have known that. <clears throat> I knew in that moment I had to go to Rachel's Vineyard. Three weeks later, I went to a retreat in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I almost didn't go. <laughs> I traveled all the way there, went to the washroom at a Target, and I almost booked a hotel to hide out for the weekend. <laughs> but I made it. And it was a weekend of transformation, a weekend of taking responsibility for my actions, of being forgiven, and of allowing the beautiful men and women there to care for me and love me like I had never known before. Before I went, I really didn't know anything about God and about Jesus and the Bible. What I found out there was that the darkest parts of my heart and my story were already written in the Bible. Not only that, those parts of my hearts were seen. God knew me and he loved me. On the Saturday night of the retreat, God entered my heart and showed me that even though I had not acknowledged my children for all those years, he had always been with my children. And he showed me that my children were safe and loved and alive in the arms of Jesus. Hand in hand with a loving team and 14 others suffering from post-abortion loss, I finally began to grieve the loss of my two babies. I named them, I wrote letters to them, and I gave their lives dignity. Three months later, my husband Andrew went to Rachel's, and it was really a defining moment in his life. 
he came home from Rachel's convicted that he wanted to marry me in the church and that he wanted to raise our children to know their identity in Christ. We were remarried in the church, and this time it was an act of our complete will and true desire to receive one another as gifts from God. And the Lord has blessed us so much and continues to borrow his graces upon us most recently. I'm sure some of you will meet him today at some point um, with our, the gift of our third son, Matthew. I was at my church some time ago struggling with feelings of unworthiness and confusion about God's love. I was looking at the cross behind the altar and then my eyes wandered up to the ceiling above it where that beautiful, mysterious blue sky is painted. In an instant, I thought of the sky in my backyard that day that I had remembered my abortions and then of the sky on the ceiling in the abortion clinic. And because God plays the long game, because he plays for keeps, he waited for that exact moment when my heart was ready to receive it, to tell me, I was there at your abortion too. I have always been with you, and I have always loved you, and I will never leave you. I'd like to take a moment now to offer up all our praise and thanksgiving to our ever-loving and merciful Father in prayer. Thank you, God, that you are here with us today. Thank you for your gentle and powerful love. Thank you for finding us in our darkness. Thank you for being a miracle-working God. We pray for the men and women affected by abortion, for those seeking healing, for those unaware of the toll abortion has taken on their lives, and for any who are considering abortion right now. Lord, we pray that you would flood their hearts with your love and your mercy and turn their hearts toward you and toward life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I knew after leaving my first Rachel's retreat in 2019 that I wanted to become involved with this beautiful ministry. But I knew I had some work to do first. So it was two years later when the Lord gently nudged me to contact the team in Thunder Bay. And would you believe, I reached out and, is Mary Jo here? Did she not come? Mary Jo got back to me instantly and said, God is good. We just prayed for a new member an hour ago. <laughs> so since then, I have been blessed to witness many hearts transformed by this ministry. With over a thousand retreats occurring each year in over 70 countries, that's how big the need is, these weekends integrate the emotional, spiritual, and psychological with therapeutic techniques, group work, and physical acts of healing, and they are truly beautiful. Our team is here today, most of us. Um, we can answer questions. We have brochures and cards um, for anyone who's interested, either for yourself or someone that you know who might need healing.
And a few final words. As I have opened up about my abortion experiences, I've had many others share their stories with me. And their stories are very similar to my own. I hear things like, I did what I thought was best at the time. I rarely think about it. I couldn't have had a baby. Followed by things like, my life is not going the way I planned. I suffer from anxiety, depression, anger, eating disorders, disordered relationships. I feel unworthy. We don't live in a culture that makes it easy for us to connect the dots and identify abortion as a root cause of our pain. Actually, we live in a culture that expects us to support abortion at the risk of offending women. This alienates and isolates and confuses those of us who have been affected by abortion. Today, as we celebrate Mother's Day and honor all of the moms, biological, adopted, spiritual, those longing to be mothers and longing to be mothered. I invite you to also pray, oh, I invite you to also pray for the mums who don't know or don't believe that they are mums because they chose to have an abortion. I invite you to imagine all the beautiful babies that Jesus is holding right now right where Nathan started us today. And with that loving image in your heart, be a force in this world. Be the love of God. Defend life. Together with God, we can save generations. Thank you so much for everything you did to have me here today. <laughs> Thank you. That was a gift. Thank you. So if you're here uh, and you weren't aware kind of what you were coming to uh, or the story you were going to be hearing, I was just thinking as Jessica was sharing so beautifully uh, one of the values we've had at TC ever since we started was just that we just want to be real, that this will always be a place where we can come and be as we are. And, and Jessica, I, I'm not going to say it exactly how you did because you said it so well, um, but she talked about the scriptures being the story of God and, and the scriptures kind of are our story. And I was thinking that as she was sharing that that's one of my favorite things about the Bible is that if you read the Bible and you're expecting this like fluffy self-help book with like great moralistic pithy sayings, you're going to be very disappointed at all of the people in scripture you think should be heroes who met God in their mess. Um, and we, have a, we serve a God who meets us right in the middle of our mess, whatever that is, he meets us there. And I loved how you said it, just how, just even in that, going into the into the abortion process and just God revealing to you, I love you, I was with you there. Um, he's with us in our darkest moments. Uh, and so if this is a message that you, you needed to hear this morning, I just encourage you to receive it. I believe this was a gift today. 
maybe you've not gone through what Jessica has gone through, but you've gone through something similar or some other experience that's caused you shame or whatever the case may be. Uh, just know today that God is with you. If you're here this morning, it's not an accident. It's not a mistake that you were here. Uh, and the message that God desires for you to hear is that he is with you. Um, Jesus is with us. That's what his name means. It means God with us. Uh, so I'm going to invite the, the team to come up. We're just going to close with a couple songs, and I think we would be uh, missing something today if we didn't just give an opportunity. We, have, we just have two songs. Uh, if somebody's here and you want prayer, uh, I just want to invite you during this time of closing, if you want to come up for prayer, uh, somebody will, will pray for you if you want that. And I'll invite the Rachel's Vineyard team if you want to come and pray for people, and then our leadership team here, uh, people who are on our prayer team if you want to respond. Uh, but we'll, we'll close that way. And if you want to just stay in your seat and worship, you're, you're welcome. You're free to do that. Um, so we'll play two songs, and then I'll just get up and, and close us off with a, a blessing from Scripture. And so let's just stand together. And again, if you feel to come to the altar, and if you're, you know who you are, if you're on the leadership team here in prayer, including Rachel's Vineyard, just if you want to come pray for people, we'll welcome you to, uh, to do that. So I'm just going to pray before we, we do this. Lord, thank you. Uh, for the gift of Jessica's story today. Lord, I think what was so beautiful about that story is that all of us listening uh, can relate in some way. We can relate to feelings of shame. We can relate to doing things that we regret. We can relate to carrying around guilt in our hearts and our minds and and becoming heavy and depressed because of it. We can relate with that. And, And Jessica shared so beautifully, Lord Jesus, how you met her in that. And you revealed your love and your grace and your mercy to her. And I just pray for everybody here in this room today that we would all be aware of your mercy, your grace, your love, Jesus. And she talked about the transformational work of, of Rachel's Vineyard. We know really that's your Holy Spirit, Lord. You, you work through all kinds of different ministries uh, to bring transformation to those that look to you. And I just pray that you would do a transforming work in all of us, Lord. Um, Lord, I pray for mothers this morning that have given their, their babies up for adoption. And I pray for people that have gone through other things where maybe they're carrying around shame or or guilt, Lord. I just pray that you would minister in a way that only you can. I thank you for this Mother's Day, Lord. I thank you that for some, it's just an absolute celebration. It's it's so filled with joy. Uh, And for others, it it brings up feelings of pain. And Lord, you just have a way of meeting all of us wherever we are if we look to you. And so I just invite you, Holy Spirit, to be at work in our hearts and our minds and uh, make us more like you. Make us aware of your grace and your mercy and your peace. And just even as we sing these last couple songs, Lord, we just welcome you to minister uh, during this time. In Jesus' name, amen.